True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. in to Fantasy Baseball today on May 12th. I am Frank Sample, joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to recap Thursday's action, a much smaller slate of action, but Nathan Avaldi was amazing. We've got some struggling hitters to talk about, a week eight preview, two-star pitchers, all that fun stuff. Uh, but before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. And if you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating. We really appreciate it, and it helps. Let's jump right in. Holy cow! How about that? Holy cow, Scott. Did anyone make you say holy cow on Thursday? I mean, not really. It was a pretty short slate. Ah. But let's take a little more time to talk about Casey Schmidt anyway, because I was a little dismissive of him uh, when he got called up two days ago. seems like the Giants are just playing playing him at shortstop every day with with Brandon Crawford being sidelined. They had tried Thyro Estrada there at first, but he's better suited as a second baseman, really. What's interesting, though, is Schmidt came up as a, a third baseman and um, a really good defensive third baseman. Like That is his best tool, is defense. Good enough, apparently, that he plays a passable shortstop. And so that's where they're playing him now. And here on Thursday, I don't know why I said Thyro Estrada. That's bothering me. Tyro Estrada. <laughs> anyway, now that he's um, here here on Thursday, Casey Schmidt went four for four 
with a home run, already his second since being called up, a double, already his second since being called up. In the minors last year, H.C. Schmidt had not blow-you-away type of numbers, but good enough numbers to think he could be a useful fantasy option. He hit 293. This was between three levels. He hit 293 with 21 homers, an 854 OPS. Uh, the plate discipline, eh, not so great. And the under, like like the scouting reports suggest Casey, Casey Schmidt doesn't have a lot of raw power. He did a good job of maximizing his power uh, last year in the minors. And so it might be that sort of profile where he pulls the ball in the air well and, and he can get... Uh, he can get a pretty good home run total, even if the exit velocities aren't that great. But I will note that in this four for four game, that home run he hit was more than 111 miles per hour. It was pretty, pretty solid poke there from Casey Schmidt. And he also had a single that was more than 106 miles per hour. So I don't know. It seems like he hits the ball pretty hard to me. I think in I think his utility right now is probably best suited for those deeper rotisserie leagues where you really have to go into the you have to dig deep for a shortstop if if you lose one and you're looking on the waiver wire and wow there's nothing there at that position. Well, Casey Schmidt, as soon as he picks up eligibility, there might be a handy enough option. I, I know like Zach Neto, for instance, has really disappointed us in those formats, done basically nothing and I'd be willing to swap him out for Casey Schmidt if you're in a position where you're using Neto. Yeah, I mean, it's worth mentioning again that Schmidt only has third base eligibility for now, but should earn shortstop eligibility soon. And uh, yeah, I'm looking at the third base ranks, Scott, and some of those back-end guys like a Brian Anderson, Spencer Steer type, like maybe you could just drop one of those for the hot hand of Casey Schmidt and see where it goes. I I still like Steer. Like I'd, I'd stick with Steer over him. And, and especially for next week, I like Steer. We'll get to the sleeper hitter soon, but the Reds do have the best matchups for next week, so I would start Steer over Schmidt then, even if you're talking about a hot hand play, as you were saying, before I so rudely interrupted. <laughs> it's worth but, mentioning his two home runs have come off of Patrick Corbin and Tommy Henry, so not exactly the best starting pitchers ever. They're both lefties. He's a right-handed bat, and... I've read and heard things about Casey Schmidt in the past couple days, Scott, where you know, people within the organization, they have this big lofty expectation for him, and people have thrown out comps like Matt Chapman or Nolan Arenado. Maybe it's only because he has that amazing defense. I don't know that that's what they're expecting from him offensively, but I yeah. also wouldn't rule out the possibility, because we've seen this before, where hitters just come up and they're randomly better hitters in the majors than they are in the minors. It's... It does not happen often. Well, but it is a possibility. The, the Arenado, I, I agree. I think the I think the the comps, the fact that they're being made to like the the best defensive third baseman at baseball. I, I think that's mostly what that comp is about. But the Arenado comp is interesting specifically because Arenado, for as productive as he's been over his career, even after leaving Colorado, doesn't hit the ball all that hard. He's just really good at accessing what power he has to his pull side. And so that ends up, he ends up producing like a middle of the order bat. I it, I would say it's a major long shot that Schmidt <laughs> has a career, anything like that, but right. Um, but I don't know. They, they may have some internal metrics that 
justify their excitement for him. So far, so good, obviously. Yeah. Someone on Twitter asked me earlier if I would drop Brett Beatty for Casey Schmidt. I said no. I assume you would say no as well. I would also say no. Yeah. Brett Beatty's kind of in a slump right now, but show me a prospect who hasn't had a slump so far. I guess Casey Schmidt is one of them, but he's only played two games. I would not make that swap. Deeper leagues for now. And while we're talking about deep league hitters, Scott, just one other name I wanted to mention in that category your boy, Michael Massey, he is heating up back-to-back games with a home run. He had two batted balls over 105 miles per hour exit velocity. And over his last 15 games, Michael Massey's batting 340 with two homers, two steals, a 924 OPS. He is 9% rostered. He's got six games next week. Looks like only one lefty on the schedule. You know, the same depth of league that we're talking about for Casey Schmidt, probably 15-team roto leagues and deeper. Uh, would you be looking to re-add Michael Massey if he was dropped. You know, you mentioned there was only one lefty on the schedule next week, and I was thinking, boy, I had a hard time finding 10 sleeper hitters. I wonder why I didn't pick Massey. Well, the Royals have the third worst hitter matchup, so that would be why. Darn. Hard to recommend a guy in that case. I mean, particularly a guy whose overall numbers still look awful. But I I think beyond just the fact that he has – Michael Massey's now hitting 417 in May. Like how much the plate discipline has improved this month. Because for the year, he has a 33% strikeout rate and a uh, less than 6% walk rate. Both terrible individually. And certainly the, the ratio is terrible too. Here in May, 17% walk rate, 20% strikeout rate. Like, Individually great, and certainly the ratio is great too. So just completely night and day there for Massey in terms of working the count and waiting for his pitch and drawing walks and everything else. I don't know which is closer to legitimate, but I do think, I mean, obviously there was a reason I was excited about Michael Massey coming into the year, and he did nothing in April. Uh, looked like he might wind up back in the minors, but now he's turning it around. So I don't think it's to a point where you need to pick him up, but it is worth keeping an eye on. All right, let's get into my, oh my goodness gracious, player of the night. And it's time to talk about Nathan Avaldi, who was dominant. Once again, he was at the Oakland A's, eight and two thirds shutout, was trying to go for that second complete game in his last three starts, but just missed out. Uh, Three hits, one walk, a career high, 12 strikeouts for Avaldi. 18 swinging strikes on 113 pitches. 12 of those came on the splitter, which was just an awesome pitch for him in this one. He has gone at least eight innings in each of his past three starts. I believe it's been the A's, the Angels, and the Yankees during that time. What is he doing differently this year? Well, he's throwing his splitter and cutter more compared to last year. And like he always does, he's keeping the walks down. 1.4 walks per nine. Uh, doing a pretty good job of you know limiting the hard contact so far. He's getting over a strikeout per inning. I looked at the rankings earlier, Scott, and I moved up Nathan Avaldi to SP54 the other day. Obviously, that was before this outing. You moved him up to SP59. And I have a feeling we uh, probably got to bump him back up a little bit more. What are your thoughts on uh, Nathan Avaldi's strong start? I mean, we're certainly loving it right now because there's been so little reliability at starting pitcher, even among the high-end types. And that's what Nathan Avaldi's performed like now with three straight starts of eight-plus innings and zero earned runs. I mean, you can't, you're, you're not, 
how many pitchers are going to have a stretch that good all season? You could probably count them on one hand, maybe two. It's been really good for Nathan Avaldi. However, it's probably not going to last, right? I mean, his career best ERA is in the 370s. He's been, it was injury plagued last year, but he, he's been a, a solid mid to back end rotation type in fantasy for a few years now. I'm not, I'm not saying he's junk by any stretch, but it's hard to imagine him sustaining anything close to this pace. I mean, you 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 said what's changed for him? Oh, he's throwing his splitter more, and it's a good pitch for him, and all that. He's throwing his splitter like five percent more than last year. It's it's not like he's completely revamped his arsenal as this, this different guy now. Uh, so I I'm skeptical that Nathan Avaldi like enjoy it for now, sure. And I'm not even going to go so far as to call him a sell high candidate. I mean, it's not a bad idea to shop him to see what you could get because, like I said, people are pretty desperate for pitching. But like he's good. If if you have to hold on to him, that's there's certainly nothing wrong with that. But understand that it's not going to be this good all season. Yeah, Nathan Avaldi has also doubled his cutter usage this season. So I guess those two things in conjunction, using the splitter and the cutter more, has helped unlock this so far for Avaldi. And it's worth pointing out he's only thrown 160 plus innings twice in his 10-year career, so has battled a bunch of injuries in the past as well. Scott, which uh, mid-career resurgence are you buying more, Nathan Avaldi or Eduardo Rodriguez? Well, I think Rodriguez's changes are a bit more substantive. So I, I, I get... It depends how you're asking that, I guess. Relative to what we thought he was coming into the year, Eduardo Rodriguez. But it just if you're just asking me straight up who I'd rather have in fantasy... I think Evaldi. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, that team context is just so much better on the Texas Rangers. And Corey Seager's coming back soon, so the run support could improve as well. I agree. I'm, much like we said about Eduardo Rodriguez, you can try and sell high on a Nathan Evaldi, but if you play in a savvy league, I, I think most people are going to figure out what you're trying to do there. So, again, we'll always stress the sell high part of it. Don't just sell Nathan Evaldi. And if no one wants to pay... I, top 20 or top 25 SP value for him, then just yeah. hold and, you know, hope he, we know he's not going to be this good, but hope that he continues to be somewhat fantasy viable. While we're talking about veterans and uh, really getting the most out of their game right now, Alex Cobb, an, another dominant start. He was at the Diamondbacks, seven and a third shutout for him, seven hits, two walks, three strikeouts, only five swinging strikes on 104 pitches. Still allows a lot of hard contacts, got 10 more hard hits in this one, 90 mile per hour average exit velocity against, but he's got a 170 ERA, a 124 whip. Obviously, those two things do not line up. I think the ERA probably should climb a little bit. That also includes a start that came in Mexico City, right? Where, you know, we saw a bunch of other pitchers get rocked around, and the numbers still look really, really good for Alex Cobb here. So, uh, I guess, similar yeah. question Are you buying what we're seeing from Alex Cobb? Not really. Not really. I, I think he could be who he was last year which was you know, somebody worth rostering in most leagues. And you, you move him in and out of your lineup based on matchups, based on two-start weeks. And I, I think he could still be that. But even relative to that guy, his swinging strike rate is way down. His splitter, which is his, uh, his, his best pitch, like kind of his make-or-break pitch, the whiff rate on that pitch specifically, way down. You mentioned he's given up hard contact. His expected ERA is nearly two runs higher than his actual ERA. 
And on top of it all, he's a 35-year-old with a pronounced injury history. So, like, he's a very obvious sell-high candidate to me is Alex Cobb, that those seven pitchers I highlighted in an article earlier this week who I'd be looking to sell high on. He was featured among them. And, you know, with every good start he makes, it, it only makes the case stronger, the, 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 the likelihood of getting a great return stronger, and therefore all the more worth doing. Yeah. One specific thing that I'll point out with him, Scott, the swinging strike rate, you mentioned it's down this year. It's just 9%, not getting many whiffs. He's So he's allowing a lot of contact, a lot of hard contact, and uh, I don't think we've really seen that kind of play out badly on his ERA yet. We still we obviously see it in the whip, 1.24 whip, but maintaining a, a sub-2 ERA, yes, there will be regression at some point moving forward. For Cobb, uh, I would rather have Avaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez, but I have moved Alex Cobb inside of my top 60 starting pitchers just because I think I had him way too low to begin with. Uh, so wanted to... Show him a little bit of respect. Uh, give him uh, what he deserves there. Let's get into a few waiver wire pitchers here, Scotty. And uh, a few names that stood out. I, I assume there's going to be quite a few here that you uh, don't really care much about. But Bailey Ober did turn in a quality start up against the Padres. Six innings, three runs, six strikeouts, zero walks, 16 swinging strikes on 96 pitches. Uh, again, against the Padres, it's a pretty good offense. Mike Clevenger and Brady Singer went up against each other. They both threw quality starts. Not really buying it for either one. And Domingo Herman was okay against Tampa Bay. Five and two-thirds, two runs allowed, only one of those earned. Three strikeouts at three walks, only nine swinging strikes. But he faced them in his previous outing too, so maybe that's why you saw the the lack of whiffs here for Domingo Herman. Scott, how would you rank that group? Ober, Clevenger, Singer, and Herman. Ober and Herman are clearly the top two. They are the two who are desirable in some way, and then Clevenger and Singer are the two who are not. <laughs> and of course, you know, I love Ober. Um, he continues to show why. He actually gave up pretty hard contact in this game, the two home runs, but he's such a good strike thrower and was a better bat misser than we're used to seeing him be that he was able to get away with it. Went six innings for only the seventh time in his career, but now it's two starts in a row. So it, it does seem like the Twins are really leaning into him in a way they haven't before, which could be a very good thing for him. He strikes me as kind of a, a poor man's Tristan McKenzie, actually. And I think he needs to be rostered just about everywhere. That's Bailey Ober. Uh, somebody did ask me, you know, just to kind of help contextualize everything. He already had Bailey Ober. Would I, would I drop Bailey Ober, who I just professed my love for? Would I drop him for Yuri Perez? Yes. <laughs> yes, I would. I mean... That's why you're a professional, and, Scott. That's the exact question I was going to ask you. There you go. Uh, and, like, I have more confidence in what Ober is and what he can be. But what he can be is not nearly as good as what Yuri Perez can be, obviously. So I think you have to shoot for, for, uh, for the stars here. And hopefully... Yuri Perez is one of those exceptions to the rule this year of every rookie call-up sucking, no matter how high-end they are. <laughs> Hopefully. I mean, somebody has yeah. to be, right? Like, and, and, and I think the best thing Perez has going for him is he has a big swing-and-miss fastball that just seems, it seems a little more foolproof than, say, Gavin Stone with a great changeup or Brandon Fott with a 
with a great slider. It's just the fastball. And, you know, Bryce Miller has the fastball. Spencer Strider last year, he has the fastball. So that that's my hope for Yuri Perez. But he's a barely turned 20-year-old, and, and so yeah. who knows? Who knows how that's going to go? But you have, you have to take the shot on it, even if it means sacrificing Ober. Obviously, if you're sacrificing Ober, your league's pretty shallow in the first place, and that 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 makes it easier to justify. All right, a few names in deeper leagues. Scott, Tommy Henry turns in back-to-back quality starts. They've been against the Nationals and the Giants, so obviously not the best offenses there, but he went six and two-thirds, two runs, only two strikeouts. He's got a 443 ERA and a 139 whip. Luis Medina, who formerly had some prospect pedigree. He turns in his first quality start of his career up against the Rangers. It is a tough matchup. Six innings, three runs, three strikeouts to zero walks. I think he has the stuff. I just think he's still like a really raw pitcher. I don't know that he ever turns into anything, but I was watching that start a little bit, and I think there might be something there long term, but probably not right now. Um, What do you think, Scott? Deeper leagues, Tommy Henry and Luis Medina. Yeah, I just, I can't get enthusiastic about either one. And Medina had an ERA over five in the minors last year. The strikeout rate has been good before, but the walk rate has also been very high. And and he pitches for Oakland to top it all off. So I, I, I suppose in a deeper league, you could make up the case to, you could make the case to pick up either Henry or Medina because, you know, in a deep enough league, anybody with, getting consistent playing time is worth rostering. But there does come a point, especially in like category leagues as opposed to points leagues, where with starting pitchers, if, if, if they don't meet a certain standard, they just risk doing too much harm to make them worthwhile. Like you might as well just go with relievers instead. And I think, I think Henry and Medina are both on the wrong side of that. Like if it was a deep roto league, I'd probably just rather start a reliever. Just to put this in perspective, I mean, the expectation for Tommy Henry, he was available in my NL only league last weekend. I picked him up because I knew the Giants were bad against lefties and I am just desperate for pitching. Uh, But yeah, he was available in an NL only league. I think that that's everything you need to know about Tommy Henry. Let's take our first break. When we return, I've got some struggling hitters I want to ask you about. We'll do that right after this. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Are you interested in buying some Fantasy Baseball Today merch? Well, now you can with a brand new Paramount shop, which offers a mountain of merch from the Paramount shows and movies that you love. 
Shop official apparel, drinkware, and accessories inspired by over 150 fan-favorite titles. Paw Patrol, Yellowstone, Top Gun, Star Trek, South Park, SpongeBob SquarePants, and your favorite CBS Sports podcasts like Pick 6 Fantasy Football Today and, of course, Fantasy Baseball Today. Scan the QR code in the top right corner if you're watching on YouTube or head to ParamountShop.com, Paramount Shop, where products are Paramount. And if you're watching live, you can see this little hat that I'm wearing here. And if you'd like to get one, again, just head on over to the yeah, Paramount Shop. When do I get my merch? Oh, well, this great fantasy baseball today merch. When do I get my cut? Huh? You want to you want me to let you in on a little secret here, Scott? Yes. I bought this hat with my very own money. (laughs) It's not like somebody sent it to me or anything. So, (laughs) you know, just trying to support the podcast (laughs) any way I can. Uh, Let's get into some hitters (laughs) who are off the slow starts. I don't know that you're the one that needs to do that. Anyway. Yeah, I I probably could have expensed it somewhere or asked somebody. But you know what? Not even worth the hassle. I'm just going to pay for it out of my own pocket. Whatever. Uh, hitters off to slow starts right now. And some of these might sound ridiculous. They're early round hitters, but we're getting questions about them anyway. So I'll ask Trey Turner, Scott, who is in his first season in Philadelphia. We've seen other big name players first year in a big contract in a new city get off to slow starts. And Trey Turner is also human. He is the 16th shortstop in Roto so far, averaging 2.5 fantasy points per game. He's batting 261 with four homers and four steals. A few things that caught my eye, Scott, and you just let me know if you're worried at all. 26% strikeout rate. His career mark is 18%. So that is up. And just other things from the plate discipline end. Career high 42% chase rate. That's been trending up three years in a row. And a career high 17% swinging strike rate, which has also been trending up three years in a row. Does this matter at all for Trey Turner? Uh, I would think those two go hand to hand. If you're if you're chasing more, you're probably going to miss more, right? And that does seem like something that could change. Like I honestly don't know how sticky that is. Like how how likely that is to change over a small sample. But I I I I don't think, given Trey Turner's track record, it's reason enough to worry yet. Like it, it's the sort of thing where if he ends up having this career worst season, and we look back and we see that, oh, here's why. But second week of May, I, I'm going to predict that normalizes, and so so does the rest of Trey Turner's stance uh, stats. Just a very boring answer, and one <laughs> that I'm likely to apply to most of these players here. But there it is. I imagine so. And it is weird, right, that you know two of the best projected offenses in baseball coming into the season in the Padres and the Phillies have, frankly, gotten off to slow starts, right? And, you know, it, these guys are human. They're, you know, they're like everybody else. They, they're, they can struggle at times. We saw Juan Soto's coming around a little bit. But, all right, Manny Machado, let's pick it up a little bit. Maybe the injection of Bryce Harper into the Phillies lineup will help get guys like Trey Turner and Kyle Schwarber going as well. But it is kind of curious to me with as much talent as both of those teams have. Michael Harris, got he's betting 216, one homer, four steals, a 644 OPS, did spend some time on the IL. I am actually very optimistic. Uh, I haven't looked into Michael Harris much because I don't have him anywhere, but... Took a peek under the hood. The plate discipline has improved in both directions, the walk rate and the strikeout rate. And he's hitting the ball harder this year. The barrel rate is 15%. Last year, it was 10%. 
Uh, I think he's he might be trying to lift the ball a little bit too much because he's hitting a lot of pop-ups and, and the fly ball rate is up, Scott. But given how hard he's hitting the ball, the barrel rate, and the improved plate discipline, I would be looking to buy on Michael Harris right now. Yeah, me too. Somebody uh, on, on Twitter was congratulating us for our Michael Harris call because we had him as a bus this year. And I was like, I'm not ready to take my victory lap yet. I mean, I don't mind the credit or anything, but... Like he's, you said he's missed some time with injury. He's missed more time than he's played. So he's, you know, he's in, he's like on April 12th in terms of how much he's actually played. And, and like, we certainly, you know, roll it back a month. And what were we saying about struggling hitters then? That's what we should be saying for Michael Harris now. And you pointed out a lot of good underlying signs, which only bolsters the case. So yeah, not, not ready to, take my victory lap on that bust call yet. And I would be more likely to buy as you are. Next up is Carlos Correa, who is currently the 34th ranked shortstop in Roto leagues this year. And he is averaging just two fantasy points per game. Uh, Correa had one hit and two RBI on Thursday. He's batting 191 with a 646 OPS overall. I couldn't really find anything here, Scott. The plate discipline seems fine. The batted ball distribution is fine. He's hitting a few too many pop-ups right now, um, but he's hitting the ball hard. The barrel rate is actually up. He's got a 204 Babbitt uh, coming into Thursday. It was 339 last year and 314 for his career. So I think we're just kind of running into some bad luck right now for Carlos Correa. And, you know, he's not an impact player the way like Michael Harris or Trey Turner are, but... Uh, I, I would be looking to buy on Carlos Correa as well. Maybe more of like a well, deeper league thing. I mean, a lot of the data suggests he should be. Not so much this year, but in past years. he's So he's we, he has this history of disappointing us. And so that gets frustrating. I understand shortstop, at least from a shallow league perspective, is pretty deep. You know, some people have asked me, I picked up Jorge Mateo early on. Can I drop Carlos Correa? Again, we're talking a very shallow league context. And, I mean, I've moved Jorge Mateo up and over Carlos Correa in my rest of season rankings. So in the strictest sense, in the shallowest league, I don't know, maybe. But I do think Carlos Correa is probably going to be fine. He's probably going to come around. Let's not forget this is a guy that got $900 million worth of free agent contract money <laughs> this offseason. Two of those deals got canceled. I was going to say about $700 million of that got taken away. <laughs> But the point is, every team wanted to throw tons of money at him because that's how talented he is. And if he was striking out a ton or if his max exit velocity was way down, maybe I'd be a little more concerned, but that's not the case. Yeah, the one thing that I notice is he's going to the opposite field a lot. This is Carlos Correa we're talking about. 37% so far this year, and it's 27% for his career. So maybe that's just something that's affecting him, but... Again, it's this is a very proven player. Um, and yeah, in deeper leagues, I would be looking to buy on Carlos Correa. This next one's a little interesting, Scott. Andres Jimenez, 32nd ranked second baseman right now in Roto, 2.3 fantasy points per game. He's batting 214 with two homers, six steals, a 605 OPS. His BABIP is down nearly 100 points this year. And looking into it, his hard contact is down. His average exit velocity is way down. He's averaging... 83.9 miles per hour on his batted balls. That is abysmal. Uh, the line drives are down. The infield pop-ups are up. 
And oddly enough, he only has a 515 OPS against righties. Uh, and he's a left-handed bat. So that is kind of weird. I think in points leagues, like 10 or 12 team points leagues, yeah, I mean, you could probably drop someone like Andres Jimenez. I think I'm still holding in every category league, though. Yeah, I would agree with that assessment. And part of the reason why I was in, in, in points league drafts, I was holding out, you know, if I didn't get a stud second baseman, I was holding out for like Cattell Marte or Jorge Polanco or somebody like that is because as good as Andres Jimenez was in points leagues, his average points per game is, you know, about like Jake Cronenworth or, or even Jorge Polanco. Uh, so he was kind of a roto league category league specific player. And then you add the fact that in points leagues, you tend to have smaller lineups. And I agree. I think, I think Jimenez is droppable in those formats of the hitters we've talked about in this segment. He's the one I'm concerned about the most. He was a preseason bust pick of mine. And so there may be a certain amount of confirmation bias there, but like the reason he was a preseason bust pick of mine is because it looked like kind of a tightrope walk for him to repeat last year's numbers. And, uh, a little bit of give there in terms of quality of contact puts them in a really bad spot like we're seeing now. Doesn't mean it can't improve. Average exit velocity especially is is susceptible to hot and cold streaks just like batting averages. So, you know, he, he could turn things around and come end of July, maybe we forget he ever got off to this kind of slow start. But I, I do have genuine concerns about Jimenez and have moved him down quite a bit in my rest of season rankings. What's especially scary, too, for Jimenez is this season so far is eerily similar to his 2021, where he only played 68 games, but he hit 218 with a 633 OPS over that 68-game stretch. So, I don't know. It's You know, we've seen him be this bad in the past. Uh, I guess the one thing that would make me feel a little bit better is that the, the Guardians saw enough to give him a big contract extension, so... Maybe that should be enough of confidence for you to hold on to him. I mean, he had a higher war last year than Francisco Lindor ever had with the Guardians. He, so. he, he was a great player last year. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. He has not been a great player so far this year. Uh, I think I'm holding in category leagues, like I said, but points leagues, Jimenez could probably go. Alejandro Kirk, Scott, he is currently the 26th catcher in Roto, 2.1 fantasy points per game. He's hitting just 241 with two home runs. The plate discipline looks great. 18 walks to 13 strikeouts. One of the big issues aside from the ground ball rate being way up, is the playing time. And we kind of knew this was going to happen. We we saw the writing on the wall. They want to play Danny Jansen every third day or so. They want to get his bat in the lineup. And they signed Brandon Belt, who is going to play more often than not against right-handed pitching. Alejandro Kirk has 104 plate appearances. That is 16th among catchers. I mean, frankly, Scott, that's just, that's not going to get it done. What, what are you thinking on Alejandro Kirk? No, it's not. I, I People have had a lot of gripes about William Contreras this year, just not doing a whole lot yet. But I'm more concerned about Alejandro Kirk. I make that comparison because they were both drafted in a similar range. It just doesn't seem like getting him in the lineup is that big of a priority for the Blue Jays. And that, honestly, it surprises me. I mean, you say we saw that writing on the wall. I mean, certainly there was a scenario by which he could end up playing less but I thought that scenario meant Brandon Belt was crushing it. It meant Danny Jansen was picking up where he left off 
at the end of last year and crushing it. They've both been horrible. Yeah, that's true. Like, and maybe maybe that becomes Kirk's ticket back in as as the primary DH and you know maybe getting half of the starts at catcher or whatever. But it hasn't happened yet. And uh, meanwhile, Kirk's Kirk himself, his batting average is suffering. So I, I don't know. I'm pretty concerned about it, though. I still love him as a player, but he, he's got to play for it to amount to anything. Yeah, he hasn't really seized the opportunity either, Scott. Like, maybe if Kirk right. was hitting better, they would play him more. But the ground ball rate, as I mentioned, is up to 58%, and the hard hit rate way down. The average exit velocity down nearly four miles per hour. Averaging 85.9, that's that's not going to get it done for Alejandro Kirk either. Scott, a question that I keep getting on Twitter is, uh, would I drop Alejandro Kirk for Francisco Alvarez in a one-catcher league? Alvarez went two for four with a double on Thursday, and he continues to pick it up. What do you think about making that move? It's yeah. a toughie. It's a, it's a toughie. Well, look, they, they both have a lot of upside. Alvarez is the one playing more right now. And seems to be picking it up at the plate. Had the two-homer game the other day. I believe he's batting over 300 for May. So I, maybe we are to that point. I, I could definitely see it backfiring, but in a one-catcher league, who's going to pick up Kirk if you drop him? I, I mean, he's probably... He's one of the worst top 12-ranked catchers right now. I mean... Maybe the person who has like Tyler Stevenson, but I I don't know. I might do it. I might chase the upside there. Yeah. I mean, I say they both have a lot of upside, Kirk especially for points leagues, but Alvarez has the most upside between the two, I would think. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think that's a fair call. In the month of May, by the way, for Alvarez, he is now batting 320 with two homers, three doubles, and a 1073 OPS. I think I just talked myself into it, Scott, so... Let's make the move. Drop Alejandro Kirk for Francisco Alvarez. Five names that are cooling off in May, Scott. You tell me if we need to do anything with these. Jorge Mateo is betting 129 with a 36% strikeout rate in May. Uh, Joey Gallo is betting 120 with zero home runs. Still striking out a lot. Um, Jack Sawinski. That was fun while it lasted. Uh, he's, <laughs> he's, he's betting .080 with a 433 OPS, a 43% strikeout rate, and a 75% fly ball rate. Uh, Alec Bohm is batting 250 with a 250 slug. The ground balls are uh, back up in the month as well. And Matt Chapman. Um, look, we knew he was going to slow down. There's no way he was going to keep up what he was doing. He's batting 206 with a 572 OPS, 33% strikeout rate. Uh, anything to do with those names, Scott? Mateo, Gallo, Sawinski, Bohm, and Chapman. Ugh, well, maybe I shouldn't have moved Jorge Mateo up over Carlos Correa rest of the season. I don't know. I hadn't looked at the main numbers specifically. I think what's interesting about that for both him and Matt Chapman is, you know, part of the reason I was buying into them is because their strikeout rate had improved so much and uh, chop it down to May and suddenly it's terrible again, more than one third of the time for each of them. So that's concerning. They are the two on this list that I have the most confidence in, Chapman and Mateo. I'm probably not taking action on this information. I'm just kind of wringing my hands over it. Gallo, let's get him out of there. <laughs> Sawinski, in a three outfielder league, you can probably move on. Five outfielder league, I think I'd stick it out a little longer, but he was my number one sleeper hitter for this week. So 
very disappointing that he wasn't able to take advantage of the matchups. Bohm, Bohm is probably just Bohm. You know, <laughs> we we had hopes of him breaking out this year, taking a step forward power wise. Doesn't look like that's going to happen, but he's still usable. He's not a top 12 third baseman, so if you're in a shallow league with no corner infield spot, he's droppable. But if you do have a corner infield spot, probably not. Yep. I mean, if you look at the overall numbers right now for Bohm, he's betting 270 with three homers. 25 RBI is actually very useful. And a 725 OPS. It's eerily similar to the numbers he had last year. So I think... You hit it on the head, Scott. If you play in a deeper league, you want to hold him because Bone plays every day. He's got a high floor, and he's going to give you quality at-bats. Uh, shallower league, I'm not sure that there's much upside with somebody like Alec Bone. Let's get into some news and notes, Scott. Mason Miller was finally placed on the IL with right elbow inflammation, retroactive to May 8th. And do you hold on to him in leagues without an IL spot? That is a decision I have to make in my NFBC main event league. <laughs> so that's a 15-teamer. It's a different story. I, I now and have Rodon, Mason Miller, and Stanton on my bench, and it's it's getting tough. Yeah, I, I, I don't think he's going to be out long. It, when we learned it wasn't such a severe injury, I said, yeah, he's probably going to go on the IL anyway, but I was too quick to say drop him. So, look, he went on the IL, but you probably shouldn't drop him. Particularly, I mean, 15-team league. Like, anytime a halfway decent starting pitcher emerges, the fab dollars are flying everywhere because it's <laughs> it's just it's just such a it's it's stretched so thin in a league that deep. People who play in a shallower leagues who don't have an IL spot, first of all, playing leagues with IL spots. Come on. <laughs> I mean, if you're playing if you're playing on NFBC, I understand they don't offer those, but. Most listeners don't play on that primarily. So, yeah, get some IL spots, but failing that, uh, he'll probably be back soon. So I'd, I'd, I'd rather hold on to him. If I gave you this information, Scott, that I won both Mason and Bryce Miller on my main event team, how much fab do you think I have left? This is out of a $1,000 budget. You won them both? You probably are down to like three hundred dollars. <laughs> pretty damn close, Scott. Uh, we have two eighty-one for the rest of the season. It's it's less than ideal, but uh, we are close to last in ERA and WHIP, and you know, need <laughs> so to do much good. It, we, just hope that Bryce Miller helps us out. I mean, the hope was that Carlos Rodon would be back by now, but obviously that's been a complete mess. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Tyler Glass now is expected to resume his minor league rehab assignment on Tuesday. He was pulled after just 11 pitches on Wednesday with mild left side tightness. Wander Fra- Franco exited Thursday with some kind of neck injury, said that he hopes to play on Friday. Pete Fairbanks will throw one inning in a rehab outing at AAA on Friday. Does this mean the end of Jason Adam? Come on. It's the Rays. Like if <laughs> I don't know what that means. I don't know. That could go you know what that means. different directions, Scott. Like, do they go back to Fairbanks? Do they stick with Jason Adam? I don't know. I'm saying that the fact Jason Adam now has his his hooks into the 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 closer picture for the Rays is bad news for 
everybody. Pete Fairbanks. <laughs> Not saying you need to drop Pete Fairbanks or that Adam is more valuable the rest of the way. I'm just saying. Right. They they've played it. They've played it very traditionally so far, and I'm I'm worried that's going to change. All right, Tyler Malley will undergo Tommy John surgery and is officially done for the season. Rough news for him, but the Malley injury should ensure that one of Bailey Ober or Louis Varland sticks around long-term this season. Gregory Soto is expected to split closing duties with Craig Kimbrell after Jose Alvarado was placed on the IL. So for those who play in deeper leagues, uh, Soto is a name that you could look at for some save opportunities. Carlos Carrasco is expected to make another rehab start on Sunday before likely returning from the IL next week. He's 38% rostered. Any interest in Carrasco? Not really. Yeah, I agree. Max Kepler was removed Thursday due to a leg cramp. Yasmani Grandal exited with right hamstring tightness. TJ Friedel will undergo an MRI after leaving with soreness in his side. Yoan Moncada is expected to be activated Friday. Seth Brown is slated to begin a rehab assignment Saturday at AAA. He's been on the IL since early April with an oblique strain. He's just a name to look for in deeper leagues in case he was dropped because... He does have some like a little power speed combination. That is Seth Brown and Ramon Laureano has missed three straight after banging his head against the wall on a catch that he made on Monday. Let's take our final break. And when we return, we'll help you get ready for week eight up next on Fantasy Baseball Today. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know, home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com, we've done your homework. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, and let's get into our Week 8 preview. We'll start off with the schedule, and eight teams have seven games next week. That includes the Orioles, Angels, Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Cardinals, Blue Jays, and Nationals. 20 teams have six games next week, and two unlucky teams have five games. That includes the Pirates and the Tigers. Starter sit these fringe two-start pitchers. Scott, we'll start off with uh, Jordan Montgomery. He's going up against the Brewers and the Dodgers. We, he's a high-floor pitcher, but you know, he's kind of hit a rough patch recently. What do you think about Montgomery? Well, his last start was bad, but he was he was cruising before then. I think he's 
somebody, most everybody will want to start for two starts. Okay. Uh, Hunter Green is at the Rockies and home against the Yankees. A little scary. Yeah, I think if you're being super protective of your ERA and whip in a categories league, maybe you'd think about sitting him. But again, most people are going to want to start him. Up next is Kodai Senga, who's going up against the Tampa Bay Rays and the Cleveland Guardians. Scott, there has not been a bigger Jekyll and Hyde matchup this season. Tampa Bay is first in Woba against righties. Cleveland is dead last. What do we do? Probably start Senga. I mean, he might hurt your whip, but... It's scary. He'll probably he'll probably deliver a good ERA. He'll probably give you a decent strikeout total. I mean, certainly in points leagues, you'll start him. Yeah. He, he's coming off a good start here on Thursday that we haven't talked about. Mm. Only one walk in that one. Was it good, Scott? I mean, he gave up four runs over five innings pitched. Five runs. Five runs over five innings. I guess I was focusing on the walk. <laughs> The fact that he only walked once. And he threw only 62% of his pitches for strikes, so it wasn't. Yeah. But still, I mean. Yeah. yeah. It was Two starts, I think you got to use them. I watched that start, too. It was a mixed bag. He got 14 swinging strikes on 95 pitches. The first inning just kind of unraveled. He gave up four runs and then really settled down after that. The the one walk is good, but was pretty hittable in in that outing. Uh, Again, that's Kodai Senga. Lance Lynn, Scott. What do we do? He's going up against the Guardians and the Royals. <laughs> well, I think the only scenario you'd consider starting him is a points league where, you know, it, it, the standard for uh, positive production is much lower from a starting pitcher than in a categories league. I'm sure I missed the big Lance Lynn discussion yesterday. But I'm pretty optimistic about him rest of season. I'm I, I'm not in the drop Lance Lynn camp. I think the fact he's missing bats at the best rate he ever has before is uh, reason to believe he's eventually going to come around. It doesn't seem like a case of old guy looks old. And I'll remind everyone it took him longer than eight starts last year to get in a groove. He eventually did and was... Looked like typical Lance Lynn down the stretch. He's only made eight starts now. So, you know, that that hopefully offers some reassurance as well. But do you bench him now? It's just a shame that... <clears throat> sorry, it's just a shame that he happens to have two starts coming up this week right, at, right when he seems at his lowest point. Might still use him in a points league. Definitely wouldn't in a categories league. Scott, you must have a lot of Lance Lynn, man. He's he's choking you up, man. <laughs> it's, uh, it's been a Actually, rough go. I, only one share, and it's a keeper league. So oh. I, I kept him. So it's uh, like I was. I thought I was pretty enthusiastic about him coming in. I guess I dodged a bullet there. Yeah, I think you just let me draft him everywhere instead. So uh, thank you for that. <laughs> Alec Manoa is, we know how much he's struggling as well, going up against the Yankees and the Orioles. Yeah, same situation. Like, it's a shame that he's happens he happens to be making two starts now. The matchups are worse than Len for what it's worth. So I think it's even harder to talk yourself into doing it in a points league. But that's the only situation where I might do it. Grayson Rodriguez is going up against the Angels and at the Blue Jays. That's probably a points league only situation as well. He's just too likely to hurt your ratios otherwise. And the last two names on this list, Eric Lauer and Jack Flaherty. Blech. Big no to both. All right. Two-star pitchers to add and stream. Scotty, who do you have? 
Well, I have a fine selection for you this week, beginning with Josiah Gray. How do you like these matchups at Miami versus Detroit? Love them. That's why you keep Josiah Gray around. You wondered. <laughs> now you know. Seth Lugo, uh, bipolar matchups here, Royals, Red Sox, and of course the Royals have been hot lately. But Seth Lugo's been pretty steady for the Padres and in a way that looks mostly sustainable to me. So I think I'd run him out there for the two starts. Dane Dunning has been awesome. Also, matchups on the opposite end of the spectrum. He gets the Braves and the Rockies in Texas. Rockies on the road is always a really good matchup. Dane Dunning's the RA is phenomenal. I think he's worth a roll of the dice. Like, I, I don't really think he's as good as he's shown, but obviously he's pitched well and has two starts this week. And let's see, Domingo Herman, who we just talked about, at Toronto, at Cincinnati. Matchup's kind of iffy there for somebody who gives up hard contact, but he also misses a lot of bats. And I think he's I think he's of the caliber that if, if he has two starts upcoming, you just kind of automatically put him in there. All right, let's say you miss out on the two-star pitchers. Got any single-star streamers that you're looking at for week eight? John Gray against the Rockies. Revenge game. Ah, love as it. As you like to say. <laughs> and, you know, he, he looked awesome. That ramped up sliders. Don't know where it came from in his last start up four miles per hour. But he looked like a different John Gray, the best John Gray. That's a gr- really good matchup for him. Rockies on the road. We'll see how Yuri Perez does in his debut Friday, but presuming it goes well, his next matchup is against the Nationals. So I think you'll probably want to get him in there. Uh, Andrew Heaney gets the Rockies again on the road. I think that's a fine time to use him. Logan Allen at the White Sox. I think that's fine. And then a couple of interesting choices here. You know how I've talked this week about how maybe we shouldn't be so dedicated to the matchups like we've been in the past because it's just such a difficult offensive environment. Even the bad offenses are capable of big games. So rounding out the list here, I'm going with Bailey Ober at the Dodgers. When's the last time I had a sleeper pitcher facing the Dodgers? Well, I mean, I just have a good amount of confidence in Bailey Ober right now, so I think it's worth doing. If, if you need to, and not saying he's must-start, of course. And Louis Varland at the Angels, sort of the same deal. All right, let's move over to the hitters, and best hitter matchups for next week are the Reds, Diamondbacks, Padres, Phillies, and Astros. The worst hitter matchups, Pirates, Cubs, Royals, Braves, and the Twins. A little peek behind the curtain here. Uh, before we get into sleeper hitters, Scott sends me an email with all of his information that I plug into the rundown, there was mm-hmm. a sad face next to the sleeper hitters. <laughs> I'm going to assume that you don't really like this group, Scott. <laughs> uh, I, was, I was actually looking for the barf emoji, but uh, I don't know if Gmail doesn't include that or something. So I went with the sad. Yeah, no, I mean, it was... Oof, I really felt like I was stretching for sleeper hitters this week. And I always... I hate that I'm always apologizing for them, but... I like this group for what it's worth. I, I think. Do it's you? Good. I like it. All right. So the Marlins matchups are nothing special really this week, but I I got Jorge Soler here at the top of the list. Actually, I've changed it since the email I sent you. Jorge Soler is at the top of the list, uh, which 
goes to show you what kind of star we're off to here. Obviously, had the two homer game. Well, it's just a two homer game. Is two two tank game, four hundred thirty foot plus shots, and uh, you know he has big power. Hopefully, this year's shaping up to be better, and he's heating up. Um. Let's see. Harrison Bader's hot, so I have him in here. The Yankees are one of the teams playing seven games. Again, the matchups are nothing that special. Anthony Rendon has been hitting better of late. Still no power, but he has a seven-game week as well. Uh, Some more uh, matchup-dependent plays here. Lourdes Gurriel, Diamondbacks, you mentioned, have the second-best matchups. Hasn't been so hot this week, but he was hot last week. I just wish he played more regularly. He, he seems to start every two games, sit every third game. But I guess he'd be more than 80% rostered and ineligible for this list if that wasn't the case. Lourdes Gurriel, kind of in the same boat with the playing time issues, or Harold Ramirez, who seems like he's becoming a fixture here, and Isak Paredes of the Rays. Uh, the Reds, you mentioned, have the very best matchup. Spencer Steer, who just homered on Thursday. I think he's a fine play. I mentioned that earlier in the show. Jake Fraley, who's been ice cold of late. But again, the Reds have the best matchup. Only one lefty on the schedule, so he should be in the lineup. By the way, part of the reason they have the best matchups is they have a series at Colorado. So that's always nice. And Nick Senzel, if you're looking for a deep, triple-eligible sleeper. He fits the bill. Let's see. Did I miss anyone? I got Francisco Alvarez here. Like I said, he's heating up. The Mets matchups are pretty good, and they have seven games. Not like he's going to start all seven, but he might start five of them and hopefully give you a home run or two. All right. There it is. Week eight in the books. Not not actually. The week eight preview is in the books. Let's wrap up with a few leftovers here, Scotty. And Jonathan India went two for four with a double and run scored. He's now betting 311 with three homers, 29 runs scored, seven steals, and an 863 OPS. It's been a nice bounce back so far for India. Fernando Tatis Jr. went two for three with a walk and his fifth home run. He had two batted balls over 110 exit velocity. Andrew Vaughn went two for three with a walk, run, and RBI over his last 13 games. Is batting 294 with three homers, 13 RBI in 13 games. I know like the White Sox aren't playing well, but Andrew Vaughn is playing well. Uh, he's hitting the ball really hard. He's putting it in the air. You love to see it. Uh, same thing could be said for Luis Robert, who went one for four with a double, two RBI, and in May, 10 games, he's hitting 382 with three homers and a 1265 OPS. Lastly, Josh Lowe went two for five with a double and his eighth home run. He added five RBI in that game. He's batting 314 with eight homers and six steals. I don't know what it is, Scott, but I know this is the Rays thing. I think they just got to stop messing around. At least against right-handed pitching, they need to play Josh Lowe against every right-handed pitcher. The way that this guy has played, maybe it's just a Rays thing and this is how they they protect him and get the best out of him, but he's got to play against righties. He is... He's crushing it this season. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've been most impressed, I think, with Jonathan India on this list. The fact he's running so much, the fact that he scored 30 runs almost. I'm noticing, by the way, that a lot of what's differentiating hitters uh, in, in the, the like year-to-date ranks, what they've done so far, how high they show up at their position is, is just... There seems to be a lot of discrepancy in runs scored and RBI and um, 
I imagine the leaders in those categories now aren't just going to stay there all season. Like that, that's the sort of thing that's going to fluctuate a lot. And I don't know, maybe the fact that India's already scored 29 runs. Look, is he going to score 120 runs or whatever he's on pace for? Probably not. Right. So like that, that pace has to slow. And then, so how is that going to affect his standing among second basemen? A lot of the Rangers have a ton of runs in RBI right now. So I find that interesting. But I have moved India up ahead of Andres Jimenez in my rest of season rankings. We talked about earlier, I moved him ahead of Brandon Lau. I moved him ahead of Glaber Torres, who slowed way down after a torrid start. He is now ninth for me. India is in my Roto rankings and seventh at second base in my points league rankings. Obviously, the on-base skills help in that format. Scott, there's room on the Jonathan India bandwagon. If you want to hop on, I'll, I'll let you on, bud. Okay. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's wrap up. A, a few pitching leftovers here I wanted to mention. Kodai Senga, another subpar outing at the Reds. We spoke about it a little bit. Five innings, five runs, seven strikeouts for him. Hugh Darvish turned in a quality start at the Twins. Six innings, two runs, seven strikeouts to just one walk. Uh, limited to 80 pitches. I heard an interview after the game from Bob Melvin that said uh, Hugh Darvish was seen shaking his arm a little bit during the start, so he just didn't want to push him past 80 pitches and said he should be fine for his next outing. Uh, Drew Rasmussen sure likes facing the Yankees. Two straight starts. He went seven shutout in this one with seven strikeouts, 13 swinging strikes on just 76 pitches. That is (laughs) what caps the upside of Drew Rasmussen because if he pitched for any other team, he's probably throwing a complete game, but because he pitches for the Rays, 76 pitches in seven innings of work. Uh, Anything you'd like to add there on Rasmussen, Darvish, and Senga? Yeah, and to that point, he went seven very efficient innings in this one, very effective innings. It was his first start with even six innings and six chances. His previous five starts all less than six innings. And that's got to be frustrating. I mean, at least they're mostly effective starts, right? Like It's hard to nitpick too much when your pitcher's not getting bombed. <laughs> but, but yeah, that, is, that, is a, that does cap his ceiling, as you mentioned. Rasmussen on the season. Yeah, you, look, you mentioned it. The numbers are good. 262 ERA, 105 whip, over a strikeout per inning. But uh, I have him in a few spots. And, you know, there's just these random starts where he gets hit around a little bit. It's not like he gets blown up, but... Just a few, I guess, underwhelming outings. That's how I would put it. The bullpen updates here. Call to the bullpen for the Twins. Yoan Duran unavailable in this one. Jorge Lopez struck out two for his third save. For the Royals, Aroldis Chapman got the eighth with a two-run lead. He gave up two runs on three hits. The ERA is now up to 4.95. Scott Barlow did pitch in the ninth and picked up the win in this one. For the Rangers, Will Smith got the final out with runners on first and second. His seventh save of the season. To stream or not to stream, Scotty. And we'll start with uh, Friday. Two or three of your favorites. And there's actually a lot of names that I like on Friday. Um, Yuri Perez against the Reds. It's obviously a little bit scary. First start. But it's at home. It's in Miami. The Reds on the road have been pretty bad. Uh, Logan Allen going up against the Angels. I think it's okay. Um, 
And then these other ones are like lower end, but I don't mind them. Matthew Boyd up against the Mariners. Tyler McGill at the Nationals. Tyler Anderson at Cleveland. Cleveland is not hitting right now. And uh, JP France against the White Sox. Who are your favorites, Scott? I mean, my favorite probably is Perez, and yet I know my general stance is don't start a pitcher in his major league debut, especially the way things have gone this year. So I think that's that kind of puts into perspective any streamer pitcher recommendation we make here, that that's my favorite, even knowing it's his major league debut. My second favorite would probably be probably Allen against the Angels just because I think he's a good pitcher and then Boyd against the Mariners. Okay. Let's move over to Saturday and Reed Detmers is actually down to 70% rostered. So he does fit this conversation. He is at Cleveland again. They're not hitting right now. So I'm all right using Reed Detmers. And the only other one that I really liked was Tyler Wells up against the Pirates. Yeah, let's see if we can stretch for anyone else here. I don't think so. You got Hayden Westneski at the Twins. I don't, I don't think so. Nah. Hey, you gave out a great call on Quantrill last week, and I didn't trust it, but he was good last weekend. Um, I assume you don't want to go back to it with the Angels, right? I mean... He'd probably be my third choice. I'd, I'd take him over Wes Nesky. So Detmers, Wells, and then Quantrill, sure. Okay. I mean, it's not like it's not something I want to do necessarily, but if you're making me pick three, sure. On Sunday, uh, Louis Varland, our resident favorite here, going up against the White Sox. Because <laughs> he's so available, mainly. Right. And, um, man, Sunday is not great. I wrote down Kyle Gibson against the Pirates, but... Gosh, I have such like a, I can't even say love hate thing. It's just hate hate <laughs> relationship with Kyle Gibson. So, yeah, yeah, Varland against the White Sox is the only one I do. Now that's probably the best of the entire weekend for what it's worth, but that's the only one on Sunday. All right, we're gonna wrap there for Scott. I am Frank. Thanks as always for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again next week. Bye-bye. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road, the steeper the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.